0: Welcome to the Meat and Potatoes Podcast. We are here with Jessup Bowden, who is the Director of Development in Utah, Nevada, and Arizona for Ducks Unlimited. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me, Garrett. Thank you for being here. My worlds are colliding, as George Costanza would say, um, in the podcast studio with a representative from Ducks Unlimited. As folks that listen to this might know, I do like being in the outdoors, and I do like duck hunting. So, We will get to why you're on this podcast. There's very good reasons. But first, tell the listeners, what is Ducks Unlimited?
1: So Ducks Unlimited is a wetlands conservation organization. So we're a nonprofit that specializes in wetland restoration and protection across North America. So we do work in uh, Canada, the U.S., and Mexico.
0: And if memory serves, there's a wetland somewhere close by in our state,
1: right? Kind of an important one, yeah. All along the eastern shore of the Great Salt Lake is vital wetlands. Um, It's kind of one of the main complexes in the Pacific Flyway, which is the main flyway for any bird in the West, really.
0: Yeah. So you've got flyways, a couple of them throughout the United States, and uh, it's an amazing journey that these birds of all feather do. Obviously like Canada is where they're hanging out when it's nice and then they go south,
1: right? They do, so yeah, so many of our birds start in Canada and Alaska. They'll come down through Utah, um, go winter in Mexico or the Central Valley of California and then migrate north through the Klamath Basin kind of in the southeast Oregon, northeast portion of California. So those, the the, uh, Klamath and Sonic, the Great Salt Lake and the Central Valley are kind of the big three in the west for migrating waterfowl. Yeah. And it's
0: dozens if not hundreds of species, and the ecosystem is as complex and beautiful as has ever been, right?
1: Right, yeah. Hundreds of species come through every year, um, from waterfowl to shorebirds to everything else that uses these wetland complexes. I mean, they're they're budding with life.
0: Yeah. Um, Whether you like hunting or you like birding, you like canoeing, you like fishing... Uh, or even if you just like viewing the animals from a distance, critical that habitat is maintained, correct?
1: Correct. And even if you like drinking clean water or breathing clean air, um, wetlands have an impact on that, especially along the Great Salt Lake here.
0: Yeah. And as far as like nonprofits go, you guys are old and venerated, uh, fine-tuned machine. Um, you guys leverage, you know, your donations. Uh Give us a few examples of how that that business model works.
1: Yeah, so we were started in 1937, so we are old. We've been around a long time. Um, We've conserved over 15 million acres across North America. So, I mean, that's a big chunk of land. Um, And we're proven, right? We've been around. We're here for the long haul. And we've had a big impact, and there's more to do. Yeah.
0: And so the reason you're on a Meat and Potatoes podcast powered by Silicon Slopes is that Everyone in this ecosystem in the state of Utah, uh, some are closer than others, right, Uh, Ogden and Kaysville and uh, North Salt Lake, um, all benefit immensely from a healthy Great Salt Lake.
1: We do. And I think public perception of that has changed, right? I mean, growing up here, I grew up in Kaysville, which you just mentioned. I mean, growing up, everybody thought is every drop of water that hit the lake was kind of a wasted drop because it becomes hypersaline. You can't really use it for much, but it plays an important role in dust mitigation in our snowpack each winter. Um, And then it also provides this critical habitat for all of these birds. So, yeah, it's public perception that's changed in the last few years, which is great. Yeah. And um, this is going to
0: be the first of many podcasts that we have that is going to talk about this. Um, hopefully we'll have like your biologists, your scientists that are on payroll for Ducks Unlimited to talk, uh, the nitty gritty. Uh, we'll have some politicians, we'll have the ski industry, we'll have people that like to breathe clean air. Um, and there will be a lot of information disseminated from a lot of different angles. Um, but for you guys, uh, hunters, uh, are a big part of an economy that helps support that wetland, Right.
1: Hunters are. And hunters have been longtime conservationists, right? They yeah. they have seen this ecosystem change over the years. I mean, I remember growing up hunting in the early 2000s. The lake was all the way up where you could see it from the shore of Farmington Bay, waterfowl management area. Now, if you look out there and stand on that same dike, I mean, that lake is miles away. I mean, it's almost a stream out there. So. It's changed, and the hunters have seen it. So they're a big component of kind of our supporter base, but we're getting more and more just people that are interested in conservation, protecting the environment, corporations that want to uh, impact water are particularly becoming bigger DU supporters. So it's great. I mean, the momentum's behind what we want to do, and we're we're experts in it. We've done it for 85 years.
0: Yeah, and a lot of this involves science, engineering, and being able to control as much of the narrative as possible, right? There's going to be hundreds of different opinions. There's going to be grumpy old alfalfa farmers. There's going to be um, eco-terrorists and everything in between uh, that have an opinion on, you know, the Great Salt Lake. And there's uh, all sorts of doomsday stuff. You know, you want to inhale a bunch of brine and dust. Um, That is a possibility, right? It is not good. Uh, The lake effect is well known for, like, the ski industry. So, you guys, that that involves, like, dikes and water conservation. And, like, there's probably a group that thinks, like, why is the water going to the Great Salt Lake as you already referenced? And then there's an opposite group of, like, well, because there's a pH balance or some scientific equation that if it doesn't get there, it'll become toxic, correct?
1: Yeah. So, there is. It's a lot science-driven and a lot of it's bringing all of those stakeholders together to come up with those good compromise solutions that benefit everybody that accomplish what we need to keep that ecosystem intact and to also make sure that we can prosper as people that live along the wasatch front whether it's the ag community or development and everything else so it's getting all of those in alignment so that we can still save the great salt lake but still have all those things that we need to kind of live here yeah
0: and um we're gonna like keep a positive spin on it but if uh, things aren't impacted and things aren't improved, then there is going to be ramifications for run a day citizen of Utah,
1: correct? Correct, correct. And that's why we all need to come together on this. And I mean, do you, on November 1st, we launched our Great Salt Lake Initiative. This is a $5 million fundraising initiative. We built a plan for how we want to pa- impact the lake and do our part to kind of improve that ecosystem. Um, and there's five parts of that. We can go through them if you want and kind of talk about those. But yeah, so it, but it's going to take more than just DU. It's going to take everyday citizens doing better things to conserve water. It's going to take the state government pulling their part. So it's going to take all of us working in cohesion to really save that lake. And, and the ecosystem is at a tipping point right now. I mean, this last year, the lake hit a record low, salinity hit a record high of 19 to 20%, um, which really impacts the food web in that that ecosystem. So we are at a tipping point where if it continues to go down we could see that ecosystem crash.
0: Yeah. And ecosystems crashing, never good, but I'm not a scientist, they might happen quicker than people think and they're tough to reverse.
1: They are tough to reverse. So as I said, salinity hit 20%, 19 to 20% this year. Um, What that means is really the base of the food web in the Great Salt Lake is driven by brine shrimp and brine flies which feed on microbiolite colonies on the west side of the lake. and right now, those brine, the microbiolite colonies are exposed. They're out of the water. They're dying. That'll impact the brian fly population. And then on the brine shrimp side, they're starting to experience uh, saline stress from how high that salt is and salt content in that lake is. And it's starting to impact their reproduction. So we could see populations of them decline in the next few years if this drought continues and if we don't do something to kind of reverse the water declines in that lake. Yeah.
0: Yeah, if you do want to hit on those five things, if I'll
1: put you on the spot. Yeah, so those five parts are, first part's water policy, right? We have to have good policy in the state, and DU's been engaging water policy in the state since about 2018. We recognize that the biggest threat to the lake is water, right? We can move all the dirt in the world, but if we're not getting water to that lake, it's not going to have an impact. So we started with a contract lobbyist. We've now got a full-time water policy specialist on staff. that Their whole job is to do education with the policymakers that can really make the decisions that benefit that lake from a water perspective. Um, And we saw some great achievements over the last year that came out of last year's legislative session that set things like allowing water that remains as an in-stream flow to be beneficial use, so that farmer doesn't have to worry about leaving water in the canals, but then losing the ability to use that water in future years. Um, So those were some huge wins. They also appropriated a ton of money for wetland restoration and for water purchases and leasing. So those were all big wins, right? And those were all driven by our policy program. The second step is um, wetland infrastructure improvements. So a lot of these managed wetland units, they're con- surrounded by dikes, they have water control structures that really allow those managers to manage that water level to the best of their ability to provide the most habitat for the most species. And as that lakes decline, these managed wetlands units have become more and more critical to those migrating birds. Um, but a lot of that infrastructure is old and degraded, right? It's It's dated, it's, The dikes are eroding. So we're going to have a big component of just going in and make sure that those infrastructure components are replaced and can function properly so we can get water into the wetlands, which flows through the wetlands and into the Great Salt Lake. Um, Another component is water quality. So we need to improve the quality of the water that's reaching those wetland units and reaching the Great Salt Lake. We have a project coming up that we'll deliver this year on an offshoot off the Mulad River that'll actually have a settling basin that'll settle some of the solids the uh, dissolved solids that are in that water, it'll settle them out and improve water quality. We plan to implement those in other places across the kind of northern part of the state as well. Um, Another component is just the amount of water we're getting to a lake, right? Water quantity. We're doing some ag water efficiency projects. We're going in and taking what's historically been open culver or open ditches, we're piping those. So that saves water. Um, We've got one of our first projects that'll be delivered later this spring is going and replacing, I think it's about 5000 linear feet of um, pipe and placing it in these open ditches, it'll save about 200 acre feet a year. I mean, that's like forty five million gallons. It's a lot of water. Yeah. And then the final component is uh, invasive species removal. So Phragmites, which is a non-native reed, it invaded our marshes after the flood in the 80s. Um, And it's expensive to fight and push back. And the state's been doing a good job of doing it, but there's more that needs to be done. So we will be supporting those efforts because it, that non-native species uses more water than the natives. And it also provides less habitat benefits. So,
0: yeah. And if you're just a layman and you look out there and you're like, Oh, those are reeds. Right. But like you guys and those that are working on it, no, those are not um, good. You know, they take up too much water and they're not supposed to be there. So um, you've, painted a picture with a lot of moving parts, which is, again, why you're on this podcast. Um, there, anytime there's people involved and money, uh, you're going to have to work angles, right? Um, but what you guys are doing is you're actually in the fight, right? It's easy to, like, shout into the wind from the sidelines and be like, you're wrong. You're wrong. Well, somebody do this. It's like, all right, here's your shovel. No, never mind. But you guys are uh, in it to win it. Um, And you're kind of at the forefront of the science, the conservation. You're vested in all the parties. You can speak the lingo, right? Um, Because there's going to be a lot of acronyms. There's going to be a lot of, there's thousands of years of water management knowledge in your guys' organization, right? Like, it's changed a lot, you know. If somebody understands evaporation, they would. Well, we should cover those, and pipe them right. A lot of basic common sense stuff, but that also costs a lot of money.
1: It does. It does. These projects are expensive. Wetlands work. Wetlands improvement is expensive. Um, so we're hoping to, as I said, raise five million dollars in private philanthropy over the next five years, which will be used to leverage. You talked a little bit about leverage. Used to leverage an additional ten to fifteen million in state and federal funding. So in in, in all, it'll be somewhere between fifteen and twenty million dollars worth of delivered work in the next five years, which is a big number. But it's also just a start, right? It's going to take more. As I said, it's going to take more than just you to really solve this problem. We're going to have to work together as stakeholders to make sure that we save that lake, keep that ecosystem intact, and uh, keep this a great place to live.
0: Absolutely. All right. So you guys um, get your your money through uh, me, right? Like I'm a Ducks Unlimited member. Uh, Obviously, donations and grants and all of that. That would not be enough. Um, to do everything you guys have done over the history. So talk just a little bit more about leveraging those dollars with like federal and state.
1: Yeah, so we take those dollars that are raised through traditional means, right? Through our memberships, through our event fundraising system, and then take those. We raise major donor dollars on top of them, whether that's corporate or private philanthropy dollars. And then we take that kind of that first dollar, right? Those are the first dollars in the door, that private philanthropy. We'll go to the state and go, hey, we've got a dollar if you guys have a dollar and they'll go, yeah, look, you've brought some match to the table. We're willing to put some money into this, too. And now we've got $2. And we can take those $2 and go to the feds and go, hey, we've got $2. Do you guys have $2? Yeah. And that's how you leverage those dollars. And by the time we're said and done, our leverage rate is somewhere in that six to seven times over most of the time.
0: And you can't complain about that. No, right? you
1: can't. We're 80% efficient with our private philanthropy dollars. I mean, Fantastic. It's, it's pretty impressive.
0: And we met at a, at a screening of a movie called Wings Over Water. Um, it's like 3d IMAX. Michael Keaton was the narrator and it was magical, just beautifully done. It followed a warbler and a sandhill crane, I believe, and a mallard. And I believe it was you're you like, you're not going to believe that this is like real. Uh, but it was, but it was so cool in 3d. And this was mostly talking about the, you know, the Canadian prairies and the potholes, Minnesota and the Dakotas. And it's critical for the entire world. Right. Um, but whether you're a school kid or a jaded old industrialist, it's a beautiful movie. Um, And it did its purpose with that group, right? And uh, there's going to be something a little bit more localized. Let's talk about that real quick.
1: There is, yeah. So that first film was a partnership between Audubon, DU, and Max McGraw Foundation. And we came together and we wanted to highlight the importance of the prairies. We wanted to build an educational film that can be shown to kids elementary age kids that go to their local IMAX theater and can learn about the prairies and the importance of them because we as DU and the feds and everybody else have invested a lot in protecting that ecosystem, right? I mean, it is the main nesting ground for all of these birds across North America and we've done a good job of protecting it, right? And it's a continued battle to make sure that we have those wetlands in place so that we continue to get great fall flights of birds. Um, And this movie does a great job of it it's so cool i I, my kids can't wait to see it when it comes to utah here in march um and it's a great film we're now working on the second iteration of that film and it'll be focused on the great salt lake it'll be called the secrets of the great salt lake um it's in the development phases now but it'll highlight the importance of that lake and it'll talk about kind of those ecosystem components of it that make it work and tick and and the role that it plays in all of our lives. So it'll be a great film. It'll be a couple of years before it comes out. Um, and, but we've got to do work now because that lake, I mean, if we wait a couple of years and we continue in this drought and don't change anything, we could see that lake, that ecosystem collapse even before that film comes out.
0: Yeah. And uh, there, there will be a, kind of a movie theater constructed out on Antelope Island amphitheater that people can go and watch this. But, uh Yeah, if it's half as good as that wings over water which i anticipate it being it's going to be fantastic
1: yeah it'll be it'll be great it'll it'll help raise awareness in the future generations of what that lake does for all of us
0: perfect okay um how do people get involved with ducks unlimited even if it is just financially supporting what you guys are doing
1: so there's lots of ways you can go online and donate to du online Um, you can support us through your local event system we have about 17 events or so across the state every year. Um, These are kind of a traditional fundraising banquet with a raffle, auction, silent auction. Um, We give away a lot of fun stuff and it's a great kind of networking opportunity for especially hunters. and then there's also ways that you can become a major donor. So my main role with the use working with our major donors; those are donors that have given ten thousand or more in their lifetime, or are willing to give ten thousand over five years. Um, and if that's something that interests you, you can designate those dollars to stay and do work in Utah, and just they can reach out to me directly.
0: Perfect. All right, and we'll put that uh, in the description there, um, and uh, you know they can find you on LinkedIn and you know on the website and all of that as well. Okay, so, yeah, we'll, we'll build on this. We've set the table. Uh, we've painted a dark picture, a very optimistic picture. We've outlined, like, there's a lot of work, a lot of stakeholders. It kind of doesn't matter who you are. Um, you're going to be impacted one way or another. Um, and that you guys are in the fight, and that gives you the high ground uh, in leading out and that people should be supportive uh, of what you guys are doing, and then obviously the great Salt Lake as a well. whole. So, thank you so much, Jessup. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me.